primary care knowledge boost, assertiveness in general practice. And thanks for joining us for today's episode of Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Uh, today we're back with Dr. Rachel Morris to enjoy her pearls of wisdom on assertiveness. Yes, as many of you will know, um, Rachel trained and worked as a GP and in GP education, but is now an executive coach and host of the brilliant podcast, You Are Not a Frog. Um, she spoke with us for an excellent episode on looking after yourself in general practice back in October. And we wanted to talk to her today about how to hone our assertiveness skills. Yeah, the episode in October had such great gems of wisdom that have really stayed with me since then and that I sometimes pass on to patients as well. So um, really do check that out if you, if you haven't because there's some really amazing pearls in there in terms of catching the story you're telling yourself and understanding your locus of control. Absolutely. Um, and in this episode, um, we start with considering what assertiveness is and her general tips around it. And we go through a couple of examples, but it's more about looking at the um, the fundamentals and the and frameworks that you can use um, in a lot of different situations um, to think about how you can become more assertive. Yeah, um, it's definitely had us thinking. There's lots of times where we're just we're quite quiet throughout it, and we're just thinking of all the different things, <laughs> all the ways in which it applies. So yeah, just um, sit back and enjoy. Um, so uh, Rachel obviously we've spoken to you before and we're so happy that you're able to come back for the podcast um, uh, so for those of you who haven't heard our previous episode with you about looking after yourself or your amazing You Are Not A Frog podcast can you introduce yourself and your many hats for the listeners? Okay so I'm Rachel Morris I'm a former GP I worked um, as a GP and uh, in medical education for several years at Cambridge University teaching general practice I then taught the Doctor is a professional curriculum, which is all about those other sorts of skills. You need to be a good doctor, like teamwork, resilience, professionalism. And I then trained as an executive and team coach. And while I was doing my team coaching qualification, I realized that there were some, some principles and some models that I wish I'd learned when I first qualified that would have saved me a whole heap of pain. So then when I subsequently started going to organisations and working with lots of doctors for resilience and productivity and wellbeing, I've put them all together um, to form the Shape School Toolkit training. So that's what I do now. Um, I host the You Are Not A Frog podcast, which helps doctors and other professionals in high-stress jobs beat burnout and work happier. I do lots of speaking and coaching and stuff like that. Lovely, and you do it well. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so today it's one of the topics that you often get asked lots about, but it's all about assertiveness. Um, so can you set the scene for us? What what does that actually mean? Ooh, I'm sure there's a very good definition of, of assertiveness, but I just think of assertiveness as placing equal value on the relationship as on the outcome with people. So I always remember when I was a junior doctor, when I first got onto the wards, I thought I'd be fine because I was friendly, because I liked people, I got on with people. And as soon as I encountered times where people didn't do what I'd asked them to do, or people were being a bit obstructive and difficult, I, I found that I stopped being quite so friendly and I'd sort of run out of tools. And so what I started to be was aggressive. So to try and force my viewpoint on people and say, well, this is how it needs to be done, which was absolutely forgetting about them and really focusing on the outcome. But I didn't really know how to do both. So I would say assertiveness is the opposite of aggressiveness. It's uh, And it's not being a pushover either. 
So it's not just acquiescing. So it's not focusing on the relationship to the extent where the outcome doesn't matter either. It's looking at both. It's that really fine balance. Perfect. And thinking next about general tips. Um, So, you know, for people who are struggling with this, which is really common to struggle with, um, what would you recommend? How would you approach it? There are lots of different approaches and there are lots of frameworks. Um, There are sort of models and diagrams. There's some sort of underlying principles. I guess to start with, for me, the penny really dropped when I came across the Thomas Kilman conflict instrument, which is a, it's just a, a simple two by two matrix. And on one axis, it's just the definition of assertiveness. You've got the importance of the outcome. And then on the other axis, you've got the importance of the relationship. So you have four different quadrants and the first quadrant would be where the outcome is really important. The relationship isn't. So that's a very competitive type approach. One of the quadrants is where the relationship is really important, but the outcome isn't. That's a really accommodating approach. You've got the other quadrant that no one wants to be in where you don't really care about the, the relationship or, <laughs> or the outcome, in which case, I don't know, worry, you, you're either bothering. Um, that's the avoidant approach. But what you've got to try and aim at is the, I always think of it as the top right-hand quadrant where, you know, you're in this um, collaborative quadrant where you know the relationship's important the outcome's important and the the higher you get up there I think the better the outcomes you get I think medical professionals healthcare professionals either fall into one of those two quadrants the competitive one or the accommodating one and it's about thinking well which one do I fall in under stress I've already said you know obviously under stress I fell into the competitive quadrant where I got aggressive but it, it's equally bad, I think, to fall into the accommodating sort of wet blanket one where you never actually get your way at all. It's lose-lose for everybody because you'll hold grudges, you know, things won't get done, et cetera, et cetera. So that the whole thing's about thinking, where do I fall? So what do I need to do more of or less of? So for me, thinking about if I'm in the competitive quadrant, I need to value the relationship a bit more. So maybe I need to ask the other person what they want or what they need to listen a little bit more, to express a little bit more empathy. And for people that fall into the other quadrant where, you know, actually they they get really worried by the competitive, conflictive nature, they need to think about the outcome a little bit more. Think about how do I state what I really want? Um, how do I prepare for those sorts of interactions, those sorts of things? So that's that's one model which I find quite helpful. And I mean, I think. The main principle behind the whole thing of assertiveness is the story that's going on in your head. And we were laughing just before the podcast, weren't we? Because I was saying, I think most of what I say and the things I talk about just tend to fall into one of three areas. Either it's what you can control and what you can't control, or it's a story in your head, or it's about getting out of the drama triangle and stopping rescuing everybody. I think assertiveness is, is really one of those things that is all about the story in your head. Because I think we become aggressive and angry when we're scared, when we're worrying about losing something. And when that happens, we can either make things better for ourselves or worse for ourselves by the things that we're telling ourselves, the stories we're telling ourselves and our our thinking. And there's a lovely quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that says, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Because it's quite a hard truth to understand, but actually most of the suffering 
that we have. It is caused by our reactions to things and it's caused by our, our thinking about, about things. Stressful things happen all the time, but actually how we react depends entirely on our appraisal of them and our assessment of them and our thinking into the future. And is it going to be serious? And how's that going to affect me? And blah, blah, blah. What, what story am I telling myself? So when it comes to being assertive, I think it's a lot easier to be assertive if you're telling yourself a healthy story rather than telling yourself all those things that can put you into your fight, flight or freeze zone, into that real threat response, like that person doesn't respect me or I'm never going to get what I want or what will happen if, if this doesn't happen or they're going to think really badly of me. All those sorts of things are going to put you into your threat zone, which I call being in the corner, being backed into the corner. And then you don't behave very well. And I know that when I become aggressive, it's probably because I'm in that threat zone. And all the times where I haven't been as well behaved as I wanted to be at work, maybe I've snapped at somebody or not been empathetic, have been when my amygdala has been activated and I've been been backed into the corner. And I'm sure you guys can probably think of times at work where you were more aggressive than you wanted to be or, or perhaps even more passive than you wanted to be. I'm definitely um, resonating with the more passive <laughs> side of Yeah, it. I think that's where I go in stress as well. <laughs> um, and it strikes me when when you were talking about the models, um, the sort of the main one that you mentioned was more about the outcomes versus relationships, because I had thought of it in the past of a, as a like you say the the story in your head and the confidence do you think that trying to work on that side of things and working on your confidence would be quite helpful or how do we do that how do we work on our assertiveness skills that's a good question and I, I think the problem with with assertiveness stuff is like it encompasses so many different things I don't think you do like half an hour of assertiveness training and bang you're assertive because like you said it starts off with you know, what frame of mind are you in? Have you been triggered into the corner? And if you have, you need to work on that. If you've got pretty low self-confidence in the first place, you're probably going to be triggered a bit quicker. So first of all, and the way we teach this is, first of all, recognize when this is happening to you. Recognize when you're in the corner, you're back into the corner. I can feel that my heart rate goes up. I feel a little bit hot. I feel, um, I feel I have to react immediately. I don't know what you guys feel when that happens. Yeah, it's that. I think that because in previous um, kind of assertiveness sessions and stuff, I've been in it. There's been that, um, you know, if you feel like that, take the pause and and remove yourself and think about it. But I always really struggle to do that because I feel the need to give an answer or do something right then and there. And I have learned over the years by trial and error that when I feel I really need to act quickly, that's when I really should not be acting quickly. <laughs> and so that thing about taking the pause. A hundred percent. In fact, reacting when you are triggered in, in, in that, that stress zone, you've got adrenaline pumping around your body. Your blood is diverted from your prefrontal cortex into your big muscles. Of course, you're not going to think straight. You're really not. So that pause is your friend. So take that pause. Go make yourself a cup of tea, walk around the block, speak to a friend, even just a few grounded breaths. And breathing really helps. It's not just a touchy-feely thing, but breathing, particularly things like box breathing, where you breathe round the box. So Count to four on your in-breath, hold it for four. Count to four on your out-breath, hold it for another four. Now that will physiologically help put you back into your parasympathetic zone from your sympathetic zone. So it actually works um, because the pause is really helpful, not, not just to do the breathing, but to look at those stories in your head. So this, who am I to be asking for this? You know, ooh, what if they 
will be upset about me asking for this, you know, and you can go, well, that story that I'm telling myself that I'm, I'm not good enough or I might get this wrong or they'll think I'm dreadful. And half the time, it's actually not even true. Half the time, a much more helpful thing to be telling yourself is it's okay to fail. It's perfectly reasonable to ask this thing. Yeah, anybody in this situation would be feeling like this. It's a reasonable request. You know, you're worth it. And you can also practice a bit of self-compassion about, you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to get things wrong and all that. So you start to tell yourself things that are actually much more helpful than the truth. So that can help a little bit with the self-confidence. And I'm always really surprised that human beings are very well able to hold two completely conflicting beliefs about themselves in their head. <laughs> you know, one is, yeah, I'm good enough. And the other is, oh, I'm really not good enough. So you need to just tap into your, no, I am good enough. And this is okay. So once you start telling yourself those stories, and actually you might find you're sort of out of the corner, you're back in your normal human thinking zone, and then you can actually address things really well. You don't even then need to really think too much about how do I be assertive? Because you're just like, oh no, this is, this is fine. Let's just, you know, there's something I need to talk to you about. Is that okay? And can I ask you how you feel about that? And you'll just be, you'll be rational. The problem is when you're doing it from that, that place of threat, that place of fear. That's really hard to be properly assertive. You'll either be aggressive or you'll, you'll just sort of fall by the wayside and, and, and not address things at all. Is this making any sense? Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely recognize that. <laughs> yeah. So firstly, yeah, confidence stories in your head, but then there are some things that you have to ask for that, you know, people might not like, right? Like maybe a change of rotor or saying no to something or, you know, all these things that, yeah, we can't always agree with everybody all the time, or sometimes you have to give some difficult feedback. And that's when I think some of these models can be really, really helpful. Um, and just having a, a, a slight framework and that there are loads of them kicking around. I quite like the nonviolent communication model that Marshall Rosenberg talks about. And that's all about thinking about what your needs are. And, and, and one of the sort of principles is that all communication is an expression of your underlying need. And so in nonviolent communication, what you want to do is to communicate with somebody what your needs are and then make a request. You're not forcing them, but you're just actually being very open and honest. And the key here is not to be judgmental either. And I think one of the problems when we're trying to be assertive is we then start to get a bit, little bit judgmental. For example, nonviolent communication would suggest that you state what has happened in a very neutral way. Say if you're in a practice meeting and one of the doctors had a massive go at one of the nurses and the nurse became quite upset. Um, rather than going to that doctor and going, you were really angry, you shouted at them and you really upset that nurse, which may well be what's happened, but actually that, that's going to, going to put that, their back up a bit. Um, you might want to say, well, I noticed in the meeting when that nurse, um, expressed an opinion, you started talking quite loudly and speaking over her. And I noticed at that point, she, uh, she went a bit red and there were tears in her eyes. That is much less judgmental than, than that first statement. Mm. Um, cause you're literally just describing what happened and it's quite hard to argue with, with factual statements. I could argue with you were angry because actually, how does someone know that I was angry or not? I might have been shouting, but I might have been excited. 
(laughs) (laughs) So the problem comes where you start to think that you know what someone's motivations are. So I'm going to throw in so many different models here, but the podcast that I've heard recently that really, really helped me was um, one of the Rongan Chatterjee podcasts. He was talking with um, Carol Rubin and David Bradford, and they ran a course at Stanford called Building Authentic Relationships in Business. And, and they've written a book called Connect, which I would really recommend. And they talk about the fact that in many, many relationships, the main problem is the fact that in our interactions, we go over the net. So Sarah, I'm talking to you. Um, there's three things going on. There's what's in my head. There's my motivation. There's what I'm thinking. There's what's in your head and the impact in, on you and what I'm saying. And there is our behavior, what I'm saying, what you're hearing, what you're, you're seeing. Now, I can never only ever know two out of three things. I can ever know, only ever know what's in my head and the behavior that we can both see. You can only ever know what's in your head and the behavior that you can see. So if I ever assume that I know what is in your head, I've gone over the net. So if I said to you something like, well, Sarah, you're just not listening to me. Yeah. Is that, is that over the net or my side <laughs> of the net? That's, that's over the net completely. Absolutely. <laughs> I could say, Sarah, you're, you're looking to the side and, and stroking your dog and it's like you're checking your email, but I don't know if you're listening to me or not. <laughs> and that's a really silly example. That's over the net. So if you say to someone, you got really angry, that may be a little bit over the net, right? It might annoy me quite a lot because maybe I wasn't angry. Maybe I was a bit worried and it's coming out as anger. You don't know. But if you say to me, you raised your voice there, Rachel. Okay, fine. That is behavior that we can both see. Yeah. So I could quite easily say to you, Sarah, um, I noticed that you're, you know, you're looking over there and there's there's a dog. I'm not, by the way. <laughs> For the listeners, I am engaged. <laughs> <laughs> so I could point out, like, you're looking away, you're not looking towards me. I am feeling a bit upset because the story in my head is that you're not listening to me. Is that what's going on? Can I check that out? And then you've got the chance to go, oh, no, no, I'm totally listening. I'm just trying to shut the dog up because it keeps barking, you know. So you get the chance to correct us. I'm just sharing a description. I'm sharing my feelings. And feelings are really, really important. Um, we're not very good in the UK at sharing our feelings. It's not very British, is it? And we think it might, it might make us seem weak. And often we're not very good at recognising what we're feeling, let's face it. Um, we just like to gloss over it and, and get on with other stuff. But saying... I'm feeling upset or annoyed or sad can be quite helpful because you can't argue with that because then you'd be over there. You can go, no, you're not sad because, well, you don't know. You don't know what's in my head. So just sharing that can be really quite impactful. And I think with assertiveness, if you start accusing other people of all sorts of things, you know, I really feel that you're being unreasonable here. That's annoying, isn't it? If you're on the receiving end of that. Because I'm over the net, I'm assuming that you are being unreasonable, that your motivation is unreasonableness, right? I might be thinking that. So I could say, I'm feeling a bit upset because you put that person on the rotor there and that person on the rotor there. And the story in my head is that it's a bit unreasonable, but I don't know if that is right or not. Can I check that out with you? And that 
brings us back to the whole thing about assertiveness being about the outcome and the relationship. That is really respectful of the other person and saying, what is your motivation? What is the impact on you? And can I check this out? Because I don't know. I can't go over the net and jump into your head and see the story in your head. Is this making sense? It is. I'm wondering about it from... um kind of because I can see it working in like a colleague situation and um, I'm wondering about it from a patient doctor situation so say that there's um there's an issue that's come up in a consultation or something and you're needing to say no or you've had three or four problems landed on you at the end of a consultation or something like that um is it is it reasonable to use that same model to say that and try and figure out what the patient's motivation is thinking about the fact that that might extend the consultation already <laughs> anyway Yes, I mean, we all struggle with this, don't we? I mean, I think I'd pedal right back and, you know, a lot of this is in the way you set up the consultation, isn't it? And getting the, the, the problems out at the beginning. But again, I'd cycle right back and go, what story are you telling yourself in your head? Are you telling yourself, I am a really bad doctor if I don't deal with every single problem that this patient brings in? And if I say no, then that's going to be awful. So I think, you know, you need to wind right back and go, actually, in these sorts of situations, I'm, I'm actually being a good doctor, making sure we address the really important problem. I'm, I'm making sure that other patients can get seen properly and I will, I'll make sure I, I stay safe and give us what we both need here. Because actually what we need is we need the relationship to stay well. We also need the outcome to be good. A, that the patient does get a problem dealt with, but B, that I can give the best of myself to my other patients as well. So there's that whole relationship outcome. And if we think through the whole nonviolent communication, if someone is demanding you deal with an extra problem, I think, you know, you could say, well, you've sort of, you, you've bought five problems for consultation here. And um, that would be the, the description. That's fairly neutral, I would say. I mean, how would you describe your feelings at that point? What would you say your feelings would be? Just kind of conflicted, like exactly like you said, you're sort of a bad doctor either way. Either you cut them off and you don't want to be rude, but you really do need to carry on. You're already late. Uh, but also you want to validate what they've said and, and give them a really good service and make sure that kind of as many of their needs as possible are met and that you've treated them as well as you possibly can. Yeah. So why would, so you could check, you know, you could say, I guess I'm feeling a bit worried at the moment because I've got quite a few patients waiting, but I would really want to make sure that we are addressing what you need as well. You know, I need to feel like we've, we've, we've done what we need to do, but I also need to be able to see my other patients. That's reasonable, right? So this is the next bit of the non, nonviolent communications. You state your needs. Okay. And I guess another thing is you can, you, you can also state the impact of the behavior. So it's like, actually, this is really important that we deal with it but if I do it now it will probably take another 15 minutes or you know or, or actually I if I deal with it now I will rush through it and we might not deal with it as well as I otherwise could do right and then the request what sort of then would, would be the request to the the patient looking again yeah yeah and then I guess there's ways of framing requests as well isn't there and it's rather saying so you've got to book in again you know a command so so would you be willing to book another appointment? Does that make, is that making sense? Yeah, no, it's useful to work through it in that kind of context. So with that model, it's the, um, the, the stating the facts, the how you're feeling, the, the needs or impact kind of bit, and then the request. Is that the different bits? I think so. I'm not a massive expert on this, but this is what I, I understand from this. And I think as well in that, you need to leave room for them to find out what they're thinking and feeling as well, you know. 
how do you know how does that how does that sit with you you know that sort of thing now I guess I can imagine all your listeners sitting there going but yeah what if they say no what if they say you've got to deal with it now <laughs> then you've probably got to <laughs> then take a you know you might need to take a pause at that point and think what do I do now I mean what would you do next <laughs> before this podcast I probably would have acquiesced <laughs> Like, okay, tell me all your problems, I'll deal with them. Yeah, I think you kind of, yeah, I think I'm trying to be think of other ways of saying it's just, we just can't do it at the moment. You know, it can wait, you know, it's not immediately urgent, but would, you know, I do think we do need to deal with it. So whenever you can, please do. What do you think, Rachel? That's quite tricky. I think, I mean, there aren't any, there aren't any set in stone answers to this and it definitely depends on the patients. But sometimes I think this is the problem with assertiveness. It's all very good in theory. And then you do the model and everything, and then someone comes back at you and goes, "Yeah, but actually, I, I, I don't like that. I, I want to. I, I don't really care about the patients in the waiting room. I want to be seen now." Or a colleague could come back at you. And for me, this whole dealing with pushback is a really important thing because we start off with all these good intentions of you know valuing the relationship and the outcome, and we're really empathetic and we share our feelings, and then we get pushback because even when we've done all of that, because actually people don't like being said no to. So even if you do everything right and you've done the best communication skills in the world, there will still be people that push back at you. And then at which point, you know, do you acquiesce or do you become really aggressive? I would say as far as you can, you still stay in that assertive place, you know, and then I don't think there's any one way of dealing with pushback. But the things I've been thinking about is A, back to the story in your head, because if you're telling yourself you're a dreadful GP, if you say no, then you're going to acquiesce a lot quicker. But if you're saying, I'm doing my best under really difficult circumstances and it's really important that I'm fair to everybody, you'll probably be able to stand your ground a bit. And then there's a phrase that I get people to use quite a lot, which I think really helps is I choose to X so that Y. So I'm choosing to, at this point, it would be say no and only deal with three problems as opposed to 10 problems so that I can deal with the rest of the patients that are waiting to see me and go on that home visit to the patient that really needs it. Because we can't say that you never have to make choices in healthcare or in life. We all have to make difficult choices and set and set boundaries. So there's that there's that story in your head for dealing with pushback. There's that I choose to say that. I think there's the actually understanding what consequences you're prepared to live with and that you're not prepared to live with so I've got this thing about boundaries at the moment that healthcare professionals we really need to set boundaries to deal with our limits and again this comes back to what you're in control of and what you're not in control of I told you I only ever talk about three things (laughs) I'm not in control of my human my limits as a human being I'm not in control of the fact there are only 24 hours in a day I can only see patients at a rate of every 10 minutes or For me, it was 15 minutes. I really struggled to see people in less than 15 minutes. I also need to go to the bathroom and eat and drink and sleep and rest. And I probably cannot work more than about 10 hours a day without my brain turning to mush. That is my human limits. And I I have no control over that. So how I get control over that is by setting the boundaries. So one of the boundaries that I set is I can only deal with one, maybe two problems per consultation, because humanly speaking, I'm... I can only do that in a 10 minute consultation, right? So we boundaries are in our control. The consequences aren't in our control. If someone doesn't like that or the patient gets cross about it, that's not in our control. So then we need to decide 
well, which, which, what can I live with and what can't I live with? Now, I would not be able to live with setting a boundary that caused somebody harm or distress or was immoral or illegal or lost my integrity, right? No, nobody would, right? But can I cope with the consequences of a boundary being someone's a bit put out? Not comfortable, is it? Nobody, everyone likes to be loved. And in fact, I know that sounds a bit trite, you know, we're all people pleasers, aren't we? Isn't it awful? Actually, that's an existential thing. We are hardwired to be people pleasers because if you go back to the amygdala response, that was from when we lived in caves and our threat detection system kicks off if we have a physical threat. So if we're chased by a lion, um, if we have a hierarchical threat, if the alpha male threatens us or if there's a group threat. Because when we lived in caves, if the group didn't like you and you were booted out of the cave, you would probably die of exposure or be eaten by a lion. So this drive for people to like us and the group to accept us, it's an existential thing, right? So actually, not having a patient being upset with us, it goes a lot deeper than we think it does. Then the question I would ask is, am I prepared to live with that consequence? And most of us aren't really, and we find it really, really tricky because we worry about complaints and we worry. We worry about all, all sorts of things, but I don't know about, I don't know what you guys think about this, but we just can't please everybody all of the time, can we? Yeah, it's definitely something that I massively struggle with. Yeah, that whole wanting to please everyone. It's a very uncomfortable feeling when somebody is upset. It really, it really is, but you're going to upset someone, right? Because you've got all those patients waiting and you've got that patient who wants you to deal with all those things and you've got people at home that you've got to get home to. So someone's going to be upset, right? And that, that I think, is a lot of the stress that we deal with. Whichever way you turn, there's someone who's going to probably be a bit put out, put out with you. And I think we really need to think about the long-term consequences of stuff. And I, I'm preaching to myself here because I find it very difficult to say no and, and up, upset people or put people out. And I'll try my best not to do that. But occasionally, you just have to accept that that is the way it is. Yeah. I think it's the fear of that reaction that would almost stop me from approaching it in the first place when actually when you sit back and think about it most of the time it's never that bad. And and fear stops us doing so much. And again, it's the fear it's that story you're telling yourself that if they get upset, it's going to be awful, they might start shouting at me or this or that and we end up pre-living stuff that hasn't even happened. And that that holds us back so it stops us asking for what we need. It stops us from making really reasonable requests. And, and this is why I think this short-termism is, is so bad. So, for example, if you broaden this out, not just the patients, but if there's something about your job that's really bugging you and bothering you and you really should be going to partnership or the, the manager and saying, actually, there's this that's really not working for me, would it be okay for us to look at it? We often don't because we're worried about their reaction. We don't want to upset them, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens? It just bugs you and it bugs you and it niggles at you and you get snappy and you get annoyed with it and you end up leaving and you haven't even addressed it and it could have been addressed much much earlier and actually the whole practice is in a much worse position because you had the fear of actually bringing it up in the first place right I'm in a revere thinking of all the different things that this is going this is applying to because I think when we were were thinking about the episode we it sort of thought about a few really specific things but actually I think it's all about the principles of it like you say it's the frameworks it's the story that you're telling yourself it's the what can you control so actually this is all just gold <laughs> um but the the one specific one I, I will ask trying to apply the principles that you've already said um is when you're 
a patient yourself as a healthcare professional or if you're a relative of a, uh, of a patient and trying to be sort of vaguely assertive in those situations that can be quite difficult I think I think the principles still apply I don't, I don't know if you've got any other advice on that one or it might be a special circumstance in a way because you're, the story in your head might be that you're you can sort of appreciate the vulnerability a bit more from a patient perspective and from the doctor perspective or the clinician perspective that you're trying to be assertive against you kind of know what's going through their head a little yeah, bit as well true. I think when one is a patient or a relative of a patient it's incredibly difficult because I think, again, you either go one of two ways. You either go into that, I'm a doctor, I know, I know everything about this, so I'm going to request these things. Or you go into the, oh, I really don't want them to bother them because I know how difficult their job is. And both of them are, are from a place of fear. And actually, what we are really bad at, I think, as doctors is recognizing when we are in that pace of fear and vulnerability we think and I've seen this in myself I've seen this in friends who have been going through really tricky times with relatives or with children and I and I've seen myself do that as well thinking no I'm fine I'm just being a normal doctor here without realizing no I'm not being a normal doctor that's my relative right there I'm I'm, of course I'm in the corner and just recognizing that my judgment might be clouded a bit and maybe let the doctors do their job or it's quite okay to challenge just like it's like you challenge someone who you thought wasn't doing uh, painter painting your house hang on you've missed a bit there it, did he mean to do that I don't know well, that's, a good, that's a good one actually <laughs> yeah. and I think this I do want to just say I'm, I'm not an expert on communication or assertiveness it, these are just things that I have come across that have been really helpful to me right and you know, I think a lot of my family listening to this will probably be falling off their chairs laughing. <laughs> if only she applied this in real life, because I do just want to say, this is really hard stuff. Right? It's really logical when we're just sitting here chatting about it on a lovely sunny afternoon, you know, recording this podcast. But when you're in the heat at the moment, it's really, really hard. And this is why I think it's really important to take the pause and have good friends and colleagues who you can trust. And who you can talk to about it. Because what the other bit of my toolkit for dealing with pushback and boundaries is to have, have air cover. So that means have colleagues who've got your back that, that will say, it's totally fine for you to say no to that patient. That's what we do in this practice. We've got that policy. We're going to back you up if anything comes of it. And that is, that is true peer support and just being able to voice stuff to people. There's no better way from of getting rid of the story in your head than actually saying it out loud to a trusted friend and then realizing how stupid it sounds. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I completely agree that as soon as you start saying it, you realize you realize some of the logical flaws or that you were completely reasonable or yeah, it, it's just so, so much more uh, empowering, really. Yeah. Um, so kind of in our in summing up and um, thinking about everything that we chatted about today, what would be your top tips for people to take away? Okay, so I think three or four top tips. First one is. Make sure that you are focusing on the outcome as much as the relationship and know which side you fall, whether you're, you're more likely to acquiesce or become really competitive because that can be quite helpful. Awareness is, is really helpful. Second one is check the story in your head. <laughs> check the story in your head before you go into any interaction. It will be really helpful. Another one, stay your side of the net. So do not make assumptions about the other person's motivation, uh, intention, or the impact of what's going on on them. And if, if in doubt, ask them questions. 
And number four, expect pushback. Expect pushback because nobody likes to be told no. Nobody likes to be denied stuff. And, you know, people can react badly. It doesn't mean that what you've done is wrong. So expect and plan for pushback and plan how you're going to deal with it. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Rachel. Um, How can people get hold of you for those that might want to learn a bit more? Well, one place to start is the You Are Not A Frog podcast. So you can you can go there and have a look at some, uh, listen to some episodes. Um, we've got lots of free resources there to, to give away as well. Um, I also host a couple of online memberships. One is called Permission to Thrive. That is a monthly CPD webinar for doctors all about how to thrive in work as well as life. And we also have a monthly membership called the Resilient Team Academy, which is relaunching in May and June for leaders in healthcare. So it's clinical leaders, doctors, senior nurses, um, senior managers, and that gives webinars and lots of resources all about this. We talk about being over the net all the time <laughs> and boundaries and all this this sort of stuff. So if you want more, then, then do check that out. We'll give you some links to put in the chat. And I've actually got a mini video series coming out very soon about um, these boundaries and expecting pushback. So I'll give you the link to that if people would like to sign up for that. And you can check out the website, which is all about this training I do, which is shapestoolkit.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it was lovely to have Rachel back on and chat to her again um, today. Um, what what did you learn from today's um, episode, Sarah? Yeah, it was amazing. I I love um, what she said about look, she's not an expert, but these are the things that have really helped her. And I think that's the thing is that we're all on this path. We're all on different pages with assertiveness. Some people have got it by the bucketfuls <laughs> uh, and managed to walk that line between just being very, very confident and um, being able to communicate really effectively and, and not upsetting huge amounts of people. And um, it's a very... But a very difficult uh, balancing act. I, I really enjoyed the principles, actually, the, that this was about um, thinking about the outcome and the relationship. I don't think I've ever heard that before. And it makes a lot of sense, like, that if you're outcome focused, you can be quite assertive slash and that can go wrong and you can be aggressive. But I, I always thought of it as a confidence, a lack of confidence. And I think actually, if I'm thinking more about the outcome, maybe that will just uh, improve my confidence anyway, <laughs> my ability to say it. I think the, um, along with that, um, for me, it's definitely been, um, like I said, and it's more about the fear of what's going to happen, which ties into that. What's the story you're telling yourself? What assumptions am I making about other people? Um, if I say it out loud, it probably sounds absolutely ridiculous. And actually, I probably should be a lot less frightened of approaching people or saying no or asking for what I want. Um, because I don't, uh, yeah, I need to catch what I'm telling myself. I think that's, and it was the same learning point for the last episode in October, but it makes so much more sense again today. And also just that knowing about how you react in stress. So if you are put in that position, what way are you going to go and how to recognize that early so that you don't respond and you take that pause and you go away and you think about it and you come back with a clear head so that you can be assertive. I thought that was a really useful tip as well. Yeah. Recognition is a massive part of being able to deal with it. And yeah, that but um, being backed into a corner um, feeling that's going to get your, um, adre- you know, that your adrenaline's up, that you're in that stressful situation because it's, you know, I'm always thinking when we're in, when I've not got a surgery running 
Um, it's a completely different mindset that I have than when I'm there and I'm, and it's, it's very hard. Sometimes I try and prepare for it and try and write, okay, this time I'm going to do this and this time I'm going to do that. And especially pans. So it's just really trying to, just trying to practice and trying to embed the principles. And I think that story is important. So actually what's the story, you know, before my first patient rocks up, what's the, what's the story I'm telling myself? And yeah, it is okay. You still a good doctor if you don't deal with that third or fourth problem as long as not they're not about to collapse that's acceptable and that's just half what we have to do you know yeah the, just that little framework as well about the stating facts rather than making judgments and then stating how you feel like the i statements um i think i've i've heard it kind of referred to as before and then kind of stating it all and just like having that little framework I think will help me if I was to be in that situation. So I'm like, these are the bits that I say so I can get to the end and I can make my request um, and then I can deal with it from there. But it's it's nice to have something to work with, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, especially for things like um, for colleagues as well, just those interactions with, with different colleagues that can be difficult. Exactly. What else? Oh, and the consequence, the the boundaries and the consequences. So you, you set the boundaries because that's what you can control, but you can't control the consequences, um, and you kind of have to make a decision about what consequences you're willing to accept, um, and that will have an impact on kind of backwards what you kind of say no to or what you acquiesce to and things like that. So yeah, it was just it, it's always just useful thinking about these things in a broader context, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lovely, lovely episode. I hope everyone has had some good deep thinking, and there's things in there that have. Um, helped you feel a bit more validated and also um yeah in fact another learning point just thinking about it was that that feeling validated and going to colleagues and having having those conversations and realizing that you know that you you can it's okay to have <laughs> to prioritize yourself equally with other people and that's you know there's different ways of dealing with it yeah so perfect um and if you'd like to get in touch with us there's a couple of different ways that you can do so and we put everything in the episode description um we love getting feedback and we love hearing from listeners um so please do keep doing that and thank you to everybody that has already Till next time. I'm Primary Care Knowledge Boost. This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2022. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before you make any treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.